Welcome to this month's episode of Winners Talks. We really like to look at various aspects of holiness in the past several months. And this month, we want to have a quick little sort of snapshot at holiness in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 16, the apostle quotes directly from Leviticus 19, when he writes, like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who has called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct, for it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. It's quite interesting that Peter quotes this significant passage from Leviticus. But we need to make a distinction that whereas Leviticus addressed the people of God in terms of setting up their own independent theocratic society where God made the laws and outsiders as a result what a disadvantage as minority who needed protection. Paul, sorry, Peter is addressing a marginalized Christian minority scattered throughout the Greco-Roman society. So he calls them exiles or the diaspora, those who are in not the land of birth or origin. And he calls them aliens and exiles throughout. Now, it's important to know who these people are. Just as Leviticus presupposes the mighty saving acts of Exodus, in the same way, First Peter presupposes that his readers are already right with God. And that's evident in his affirmation that they are already ransomed from their future ways inherited from their ancestors with the precious blood of Christ. And as a matter of fact, that they are already a chosen race, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's own people. That's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The issue, therefore, for Peter is how these Christians, as the people of God in the society where they were, should lead their daily lives. First, with each other, and second, in front of non-Christians, being holy in all their conduct. There are quite a number of things one could pick up about holiness and first Peter. But I think one of the starting points for us is to look at first Peter chapter one, first Peter chapter one, verses one and two. We want to see the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit in holiness vocation. First Peter chapter one, verses one and two. 
Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. It's quite interesting though, just as an aside, to see the involvement of the triune God in the work of redemption, in, in sanctifying, in setting apart these people who are aliens. According to the foreknowledge of the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit is instrumental to obey Jesus Christ, sprinkled by his blood. I mean, if we look at from verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lost, which were yours in your ignorance. But let's go to first Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 14, to push the role of the Spirit a little bit further, as we see it here. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of Christ rests in you. So there's no doubt about that, that from these passages we see sanctification or holiness as the work of the spirit. We're familiar with that passage in Zechariah where it says, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, God's proclamation to Zerubbabel. Maybe we could say that when it comes to the role of the spirit in sanctification as well, that it's not by power, it's not by might, it's not by struggling. Rather, it is by the spirit of God. And Peter is calling these aliens, of course I know that we can explain what the aliens means, why were they aliens, why were they called people in dispassion, but at least one thing everybody agrees upon is the fact that these were aliens in a strange land. And generally we know that one of the challenges of aliens is the temptation to conform, the temptation to conform to their new place of relocation. There's always the pressure to conform, wanting to put on a new identity, but they are not to forget the identity that they are all believers now. And so Peter urges them to be holy. Now, what does he tell them? Firstly, Christians must love one another. In other words, we must be holy in all our conduct with other believers, other Christians. Because he writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, now that you purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love 
love one another deeply from the heart. You see, the telling word there is the word genuine, genuine mutual love. That tells us that love can be simulated. We can shake somebody's hands and have a warm inquiry concerning how that person is. We and yet our hearts may be matched by jealousy or resentment. We can say, how are you? How do you do? Shake hands, greet one another. And yet have our hearts filled with hatred towards the person with whom we were smiling. And in chapter four, verse eight, Peter continues in the same vein. He says, above all, maintain constant love for one another. As Wesleyans, we try to couch sanctification in Wesley's words as perfect love. Perfect love, love that casts out fear. Love that throws away suspicion. Love that admits of no resentment. He says, constant love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. Now, we need to explain that when Peter says love covers a multitude of sins, it's not trying to suggest that we should connive in covering up for one another's sins by sweeping some serious allegations of misconduct under the ecclesiastical carpet. You know, sometimes when there are wrongs that are done, sinful behavior or actions, say, well, it's a church affair. It's a church affair. It, it will be dealt with as a church affair. No, that's not what Peter is saying there. Not at all. That is not going to be godlike holiness. Not at all. Instead, he's talking about love. Love that covers a multitude of sin. That is, you're willing to forgive. You're willing to look beyond the person's fault, ones that puts the best construction on the bad evil, on the worst evil. In other words, hearts that are motivated by love. We must be holy in all our conduct with other believers, other Christians. But then, we must be humble in our relation to God and to one another. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it's very clear there. Paul calls on his readers to clothe themselves with humility in their dealings with one another. That's in chapter 5, verse 5. One of the problems we have in the church today is the problem of egos that clashes of ego. I mean, somebody says, well, big heads. Sometimes it's a problem of big heads. It doesn't happen between humble people. You probably have heard me say it before in one of the episodes, and let me repeat it. Now, the problem of sin is the big eye in the middle where their ego clashes. Humble yourselves. You see, too many of us, unfortunately, are too much convinced of our own importance. 
If not because of me, that will not happen. If not because of me, that will not be there. If that is not because of me, that person will not be where he is. We're too quick to inflate our own importance. We're too confident in the rightness of our own opinions. You see, our opinions are always the best. Nobody has better opinions than we do. We're too used to getting our own way. We have a way of getting our own way, either by manipulation or by subtlety or by cajoling or whatever it is. All these are completely against the notion of holiness that First Peter would like us to practice. You see, bloody battles to establish who is the dominant male is what we find in the animal kingdom. It should not be found in God's holy church. When you have battles, when you want to know who is the dominant person, who has more authority, who has more clout, who has more wisdom, who has more, that should be in the animal kingdom, not in God's kingdom. Rather, according to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, all of us as assertive and reticent alike are to have unity of spirit. We have to have sympathy. We have to have love for one another. We are to be characterized by tender hearts, not the hearts of it serves you right. I told you so. You've gotten what you deserve. No, not at all. Rather, unity of spirit, sympathy, love for one another, a tender heart, and a hopeful mind. That is what should characterize us as believers. But not only holiness among us who are Christians. Holiness in all our conduct in front of non-Christians. You see, according to Peter, non-Christians should, whether they like it or not, be impressed by what we do. What does he say? He says, conduct yourselves honorably among Gentiles. First Peter chapter 2, in verse 12. First Peter chapter 2, verse 12. It says, conduct yourself honorably among the Gentiles. That is quite significant and very important. Conduct yourself honorably among the Gentiles. It says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Glorify God in the day that he comes to judge. Then in verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. So Christians, I exhorted for the Lord's sake to accept authority of every human institution. Well, I know that is troubling for a lot of people, especially when you look at different contexts. But two particular instances where Christians are obliged to submit here to non-Christians are at work, slaves to their masters, and at home, wives to their husbands. Since those in authority may abuse their God-given position 
This may also entail the believer suffering unjustly. Unfortunately, we see abusive leadership today, and sad to say, among Christian leaders. Well, Peter says, that is the way it was for Jesus. He suffered in silence and he left an example so that you and I can follow in his steps. That's in chapter 2, verse 21. You see, he says we should follow in his steps. I do like the way Joel Green, the New Testament scholar, puts it. I like the way he says it. He said, Peter devotes significant attention to the redemptive and exemplary journey of Jesus through suffering and death to his exhortation. And here he goes to say, Christ suffered on your behalf, leaving you a pattern so that you might follow in his footsteps. And it goes on to say, we are not against the world. The holiness of God's people is thus not found in reciprocal animosity with their opponents. We do not withdraw from the world. We do not work out our identity and sense of mission simply by negating the beliefs and behaviors of others. If we are different from the world, it is not because we, are, we set out to be so, but rather because our lives rest ultimately in a God who is different and we follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. So we don't just say that, well, we want to be, no, 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 no. Holiness is the imitation of Christ. That's the point. That's the point in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Holiness is the Im imitation of Christ. And we should live our lives like Christ lived. Can we do that? Yes, by the Spirit of God. Can we do that? Yes, by the power of God. Can we do that? Yes, because God has given us the word. Can we do that? Yes, because Jesus shed his blood for us. So holiness is the imitation of Christ. Holiness is our calling. Holiness is an engagement. An engagement with the world around us. We engage. We don't run away. It's not a reciprocal animosity, as Joel Green rightly say, says it. So we need to understand that. Unbelieving husbands, for instance, hopefully will be won over by the silent witness when they see the purity and reverence of their wives' lives or the same thing of bosses. Well, you ask yourself, what do we make of all these ideas? Are these a prescription for all Christians everywhere at all times? Well, if so, you ask for them. Were Christians then wrong to campaign against slavery as an institution? Should pastors be ordering battered wives straight back home and go back and sit in the house of your husband where he's ready to break your head with something? We need to think very carefully before we make such jumps and such uh, false applications before we make any individual text to bear the full weight of Christian teaching, we need to ask ourselves two fundamental hermeneutical issues. The first one is, does the rest of scripture shed any further light on the matter? So what I'm saying is that when I've talked about submission in First Peter, you need to compare it with what it says in other places. Number two, 
Does the life and teaching of Christ shed any further light? It's very, very important. Look at the example of Peter. When the alleged God-given authority of the Sanhedrin exceeded his brief attempt when they wanted to suppress Peter and told him to keep his mouth shut and that he should not talk about the risen Jesus, Peter's response was not just a silent, muted compliance. Rather, he says, no, we must obey God rather than men. So at that point, Peter responded defiantly and said, no, I'm not going to obey that. You can't keep my mouth shut. We must obey God rather than men. Then when you look at the life of Jesus, remember that the same Jesus who suffered silently on the cross was the same Jesus who violently drove out, expelled from the temple, those who are abusing its sanctity. So I don't want anyone to misunderstand what I've said about uh, submission to authority, to mean just blind, silent submission when the authority is exceeding its authority and is acting contrary to the will and to the word of God. That's not the holiness we're talking about. The holiness we're talking about must be in agreement with the rest of the scripture and must be in agreement with the life of Christ. So Peter talks about holiness in conduct in front of non-Christians. We've seen it in front of Christians and then in front of non-Christians. It is very, very important for us to understand that we're aliens, we're strangers in the world. We're representatives of the Lord and we're to live our lives in such a way that God is honored. Remember, there's a temptation to conform as aliens in a strange land. But don't forget, it is not by power, not by might, but by the Spirit of God. Is holiness possible? Surely, Peter will say, it is. And that agrees with the remaining testimony rest of the scriptures. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate. Contact me. God bless you. Please share the message with others if you have been blessed by it. Bye for now.